Good evening. There we go. Good evening. We're here tonight to, um, which I think is probably um, the most holiest evening of the year. Goes beyond, above and beyond um, uh, Christmas Eve. Goes even beyond Easter. Easter is a great time of celebration, but it's because of this evening that we, um, we recognize what Christ did for us that caused everything. And so, in this evening, um, we're going to have a, a, a neat service of remembrance, and um, we're going to extinguish candles after each reading. So we're just going to uh, recapture where the Lord was on those evenings. And I know Andy's going to bring the lights down in a bit, and it's going to be a, a, a dark uh, time, but we also want to recognize that it's because of this that we bring joy. So bow with me for a prayer as we open today. Gracious God, we just come to you now that when we look uh, at, the, at the excitement of Easter, when we reminisce as we see some of the palm branches in here of the excitement of Palm Sunday, we recognize that there was a lot of stuff that went on in that week. God, we want to remind ourselves that it was because of your great love for us that you left your throne above to come down to heaven come down from heaven to earth to become flesh and then therefore take on the sins of the world. And it was on this night and, and this day that you were crucified on a cross, probably the cruelest, the cruelest type of suffering that ever existed throughout the world. And so, Lord, during the remainder of this time, let us focus on, on you and what you bring to us, that gift of salvation. And let us just connect once again to everything that you have and that you, that you expect from us in your world. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Here are these words from Mark chapter 14, where we'll be spending most of our reading today. And it says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice a Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house as he enters, the teacher, where's my guest? Where may I eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they began to ask him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better if he had not even been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. He took his cup and then gave thanks again, and he gave it to his disciples, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives.
Jesus said, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the others said the exact same thing. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, he said, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise and let's go. Here comes my betrayer.
above all wonders the world has ever known. Above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and others, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men, they seized him and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the, in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. 
What can take a dying man Raise him up to life again What can heal a wounded soul What can make us white as snow What can fill the emptiness What can mend our brokenness Brokenness
They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teacher of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, where he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. And they said, we heard him. I will destroy this temple made with human hands. And in three days we'll build another not made by human hands. Yet even their testimonies did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He said, You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him.
While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him, and she said, You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went on into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she again, to those standing around, said, This fellow is one of them, and again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down, and he wept. words 
Fairly early in the next morning, the chief priest with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. And they said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Are you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was a prisoner with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to instead have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with this one that you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted on the ladder. Crucify him. So wanting to satisfy the crowd... Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I had another message here today, yet in the midst of the day, um, I just kind of came to something that I believe God gave me. I heard somebody mention something about it. A fellow pastor made a statement, and it just kind of set me in another area. I'll move to the middle. Um, right now so that I, I don't leave anybody else out of the way. Um, but it was an interesting, um, it's an interesting verse. And has anybody here ever played chess? Anybody played chess? Anybody tried to play chess? 
Okay? And then you've heard the term chess mate if you've been around. I, um, I was sitting here and I was uh, thinking about the whole scripture, how the whole Bible is one big game of chess when we really look at it at the beginning. And it reminded me of the story of a man who was a businessman and he was traveling and he was in Chicago and it was the very middle of the winter in Chicago, very cold. And the man had to leave, but he said, hey, honey, I'll do some business for a couple days and then in a few days, I'll go ahead and you can come on down and join me in sunny Florida. And she said, that would be great. That sounds awesome. So he went ahead and he decided to go ahead and head off to work. It was snowy, blizzard conditions, but like very warm in Florida. So when he got down there, he said, oh, my wife will love to hear about that I made it and everything's good. So he went to sign in her email, but he got one letter wrong in, in the writing of the email, and he actually sent it to another woman who happened to have just lost her husband a few days ago to death. And the email that she received kind of shocked her as it said this. Well, I wanted you to know, honey, I arrived okay. And he said, I look forward to your arrival just a few days later. And then he said, oh, by the way, it's very hot down here as well. (laughs) That would be an interesting email to get if you thought someone had just passed away. And although there's a lot of humor in that, this is what the whole entire scripture is about where we're going to spend eternity. You see, from the very beginning of the story of God, there's been a big chess match going on. God set up the universe and created everything to be good. And then he had one of his prized creations, an angel named Lucifer, who decided that he was going to be like God. And he revolted against God and was thrown down, he and a third out of heaven. A little chess match going on. But then God decided to play his chess piece and decided, I'm going to create humanity. I'm going to create Adam. And from his rib, I'm going to go ahead and create Eve. But Satan then moved his chess piece and decided to go ahead to Eve, speaking to her through the serpent, and said, will you not die? You will not die, but you will truly become like God, knowing good and evil. And so through Eve and through Adam... Once again, they, were, they became subject to ha- Satan from that time on and were thrown out of the garden. But God then once again moves his chess piece in that direction and responds by saying, Adam and Eve, for you, I will go ahead and I'll create this covering by sacrificing and covering your nakedness and your vulnerability with the sacrifice of animals. And once again, God moved ahead. Then once again, Satan decides to go ahead and move his chess piece. So he says, well, I know what I do. I'll have Cain become jealous, and he will go ahead and kill his brother, Abel. And then I will remove this godly line that God has put here. And once again, God responds by giving to Eve the birth of one named Seth, who became a son who was after God, and the godly line was reinstated. But Satan, once again, decided to move some more of his chess piece and decided to take his fallen demonic angels and begin to have them um, intermingle with uh, the humans on earth and they began to create what he wanted to do, a demonized race that would completely remove any lineage or any effect of Adam or God in the midst of it. But God during that time, even though it seemed like all the world had forgotten about God and was evil, God once again moved his chess piece and found it in a faithful man named Noah. When Noah decided by faith 
to build a boat in dry land. They had never seen, many scholars believe, rain ever before. And Noah decides to be God's chess piece when he goes ahead and preaches that great sermon that everybody loves, a really short one that says, it's going to rain. And so after that happened, once again, Noah, God brought provision. But then, guess what? Satan waited his time, moved his chess piece, and um, brought somebody to the forefront, somebody we don't name our children, Nimrod. We may call them that, but Nimrod, who was a guy who built two major cities, one called Assyria and one called Babylon, that was going to be so godless and was going to rebel against God, and they were going to embrace what I believe our culture thoroughly embraces now, the culture of humanism, that we are God and we are more important than anything in the universe. And they started to lift themselves up and build a tower and say, we are God ourselves. And then once again, God moves his chess piece once again, confusing their language and scattering them. And then he decided, I'm going to move a rook move, a couple different moves. And this next person I'm going to move is I'm going to go to Ur of the Chaldeans and I'm going to find a man named Abram a person who loves me and cares for me, and I'm going to call him out of this land to the land I have promised him. And even though, Satan, you are trying to raise your nations, I'm going to raise a nation called Israel through him, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Satan once again bought time and waited and saw his chess piece, and then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll use a pharaoh who knows nothing about God, who cares nothing about God, and I will take these this nation called Israel, people of God, and I will gather them up and I will throw them into captivity in Egypt and I will make labor hard for them and I will wipe them out and they will hate even calling on the name of God. But yet after years of that, God once again moved his peace and went on a mountaintop to a man who was an Egyptian who now lives in Midian. His name was Moses. And he told Moses, go on back where you came from. Moses said, excuse me? He said, get on back there. And he moved that chess piece. And he came back and he told him simply this. My God says, let my people go. You see, the entire Old Testament, I could continue on and on and on, that every time Satan moves a chess piece, God moves one. Satan moves one. God moves one. It seems like this pattern is continuing throughout eternity. And even in between the Old and the New Testament, there are 400 years where it seems like they're both sitting at the table wondering whose move it is next and who can counteract. But when we learn that during that 400 years of time, there was a move that was being prepared. It was a move by God himself, a move that begins in the New Testament with Matthew going and telling us this, that so-and-so begat so-and-so, that begat so-and-so, that begat so-and-so, until it comes through the line of David and comes to a man named Joseph who married a woman named Mary who was, born, who was to be pregnant and give birth to the Son of God. <coughs> God moved his piece, his chest piece up to the forefront. You see, up to this point, God was continually moving the same chess pieces that Satan did. Up to that point, God was moving humans here and there and here and there. <coughs> Until after this 400 years, God finally decided, enough of this mess, time for me to get down there and take care of business myself. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan doesn't know what to do, so he continues to move the same pieces that he did. And Jesus is baptized, and he's thrown out into the wilderness. And as he's out there in the weakness of his own life, <coughs> Satan once again decides to move a chess piece. 
He says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The first Adam I messed with and all those other chess pieces God moved along the line. Now, <laughs> if I can make it with Adam 1.0, I'm going to do it with Adam 2.0, known as Jesus. And so he began to lean on all those things that our world and that we fall into. The powers, the lust, the everything in the world. He said, I'm going to use the same things that have worked throughout history. And each time he began to say this, because if he got rid of him, he would have gotten rid of the Son of God, and there's no hope for us then. <coughs> Satan would have had checkmate. And you know what he thought he did? That as Jesus lived and, and taught, and then he was captured, and then on that day, on that Friday, Satan's trump card has always been death because of sin. And at this point, he, Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was beaten bleeding and dying. And Satan probably for a second told himself, checkmate. But you know what's interesting? A few days later, there's a lady named Mary walking in the garden on Easter. And Jesus says something very odd to her. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Because I have not yet returned to my father yet. But then just a, a few days, a few times later, there's Thomas and he says, go ahead, touch this. What's going on here? Well, you know, it's so awesome how God himself makes a connection throughout the whole entire scripture. Because in the Old Testament, a high priest, when he was going in to give the sacrifice for the people, no one could touch him until he presented the blood sacrifice in the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies to God himself. You see, Jesus had risen and he said, i got to present myself to my Father because as I present this sacrifice, I'm presenting it once and for all. This is checkmate from now on. As we look at the history of this day, it's not just something that we want to look back into the past about. It's hope for the present and it's hope for the future. As I walked around today and just kind of live life, and as we walk out of this room, it's interesting how many people pay absolutely no attention what happened this day. That for them, it's a Friday before they get off on a vacation. For them, the cross means nothing than a piece of jewelry that they have. But they deny, and I believe many in the church itself, have disconnected from what is known as the power in the blood of Jesus. It is that power and that sacrifice that didn't just give many years ago on a hill on Calvary. It's not something that people wrote songs about and that we sang today. No, it is power for us today. It is the power that allows us to have life and live life and give us a present future and life. That's why I love what it says in Revelation chapter 10, verses 1, Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. When at the end of this time, we hear this verse, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night have been what? Hurled down. They have triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You see, it's that power in the blood of Jesus that gives us life, that sustains life, that cleanses life, and empowers our lives.
I've had a history at times of either running out of gas or, more importantly, anybody had a dead battery? Who's had a dead battery ever before? Uh, you know, your car can be great, but if you ever have a dead battery and it just stops, you're not going anywhere. And what I find interesting about dead batteries is this. When you have a dead battery, somebody pulls up, or you pull up next to somebody, you have your car on, you hook up, positive, positive, ne- negative, you're not supposed to hook it up to negative, but something metal, they used to tell me, I don't know if that's real or not anymore, anybody know? Or you just hook them up, I don't know, they used to tell us that. But you hook them up, and when they're hooked up, I wait a little while, because I'm hooked into something that's alive. And when I'm hooked into something alive, if I wait a little while, something really cool begins to happen. I start to turn the key, and it starts to go, and then I say, wait a second, okay. I make sure all the lights and the radio and everything else, and I go ahead and I crank it a little bit more after it's been there, and all of a sudden, boom, it starts up. And I wait, and they push more power from that accelerator into it, and it keeps going for a while. And then before you know it, because of my being connected to that life source, this thing that was dead is now alive, as alive as that thing that was dead before. Not by the battery's own power, but by the life source it was connected to. And what I see more and more in the world today is there are so many of us that are dead dead in life. And we need to connect to the power source of Jesus Christ. And through that, through those battery cables of the Holy Spirit, we don't have live off of our life and our strength, because guess what? I'm going to tell you, your battery's going to run out. But if you remain connected to the power source of our Lord, that is the power in the blood of Jesus that never runs out. Jesus does the same thing, giving us power for not only on Sunday and not only a service, but to live each and every day as we remain connected to him. In this book of Revelation, particularly chapter 11, we see three things, three real quick things. This sounds like a a classic sermon, three-point sermon. Three things that I want to share with you that we learn from verse 11 if you want to live under the power of the blood of Jesus. The first thing that we learn is that they triumphed over him, meaning Satan. Why, how do they triumph? Not by their own strength, but by being connected to Jesus Christ, by being connected to his power and his blood. Jesus wants to be our lives, not just a part of our lives. For so many of us today, Jesus is just a segmented part of our lives like everything else in life. But he's not our entire life. You know, I find it very interesting about marriage because before I got married, I, had, I, I, I lived at home, and things that were asked of me, I did at home. When my parents or my mother would ask me to do something, I'd do it. And within an hour after saying I do, there became a new woman in my life who told me what to do. Her name's Melissa. And there's a new woman that I honor. And I follow through because it's not because of what happened. My mom can come to my house and say, Jack, I need you to do this. And I can say, that's very nice. I've got to talk to my wife about that. Because here's the fact. From that moment of marriage, there is a new identity in me. That I recognize that the people, although I love my parents, the people that become the most influential and the most important the person to me in the world is my wife because I have a covenant relationship with her. 
And when I look at that in this way, I recognize that it does not matter how long you've been trained up or raised by Satan. If you make a commitment to Jesus Christ, you can live under a new identity with him. Because it's not about what you've grown into and what you've learned and what you've done and that kind of stuff. What it's about is living under authority, not strength. If I look on a, you guys know I like football and I like sports. If I look on a football field, I see the most powerful people on the football field are the linemen, the linebackers, the running backs, the eagles. And guess who, what I find very interesting? The people who rule the field are the weakest people on the field. They're dressed in pinstripes. They're called referees. No, not the eagles. But they're, they're, they're in pinstripes. You know why? Because they have the authority to throw any one of them suckers out of the game. They have the authority to call plays. They have the authority to run the football game. And so as we're in this life, Here's what we find out. You don't have the strength to make it through life. I don't have the strength to make it through life, particularly when Satan is hammering on me. But what I do have is the authority that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. And with that authority, no weapon formed against me will ever prosper. That is the message of the cross. So the first thing is we triumph through the blood of Jesus. The next thing that we do, it says, they triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, what Jesus is saying, for those who live empowered, free lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're not in the Christian secret service. They live by the word of their testimony. They are outward believers. They're not closet Christians. Christians need to come out of the closet. We need to get out there and share people who Jesus is and be proud of it and not hide it away. Number three, and this is the last thing. They loved Jesus more than themselves. It says right here, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from even death. They were passionate about Jesus, just passionate about him. They loved him with every ounce that they had. They did not beg for their lives. And you know, uh, you know, I'm going to beat up on some husbands because I'm one right now. But when we love somebody, we do stuff. Do you remember being in love, really in love, and holding on the phone? You guys remember? Some of you are as old as I am. You remember when phones had cords on them? And how the big thing, and you hit that teenage year, was to get a phone jack put in your room. So you could sit on the phone and talk to Janie or Billy and be like, oh, yeah, you know, for like three hours on the phone because you had this love for them, this desire, this in, you couldn't think of anything else. You were just in love. Your friends tried to see, what happened to Jack? I don't know. He's in love. You think of nothing else. You, you, you write love poems. Anybody write any poems? Who wrote poems? You know, sappy little things like that. Because you were so in love. And I really believe the catalyst for all things is that we need to recapture a love affair with Jesus. You know, I love things in my life. There's some things that I love, but I don't want to put them over Jesus, and I do at times myself. You see, when you're in love with Jesus, there is power in the blood. I heard a story about 
a little girl was running and she was being chased the pastor told this being chased by a dog it was a, a it was a friendly dog but she was real little and she's screaming ah he's gonna get me ah, he's coming. and she jumped up on her grandfather and her grandfather held him and he was down by her feet and the dog just bah, 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 just barking 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 and the little girl looked down went back to her grandfather looked back down went back to her grandfather Looked back down at the dog, looked at her grandfather, looked at the dog and went, nah, 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 nah. You see, because when you're in the arms of someone with authority, strength falls by the wayside. And you're not afraid if you rest in the right arms of the one who has that authority. You guys know my favorite superhero ever is Superman. If you don't, you do now. I love Superman. One of the things I love most about Superman is Clark Kent is a complete geek. Clark Kent does nothing. He's bumbling. Nobody pays attention to him. Lois wants nothing to do with him. Perry White thinks he's a bumbling fool. Jimmy Olsen kind of is nice to him, but still like, what's up with this guy? Everybody, Clark Kent is pretty much the average nothingness. But you know, once he takes off those glasses, rips off that shirt, and finds a phone booth, look out. Because then he puts on these blue tights. And let me tell you, you wear that around as I have, you have to really be strong in yourself. You know what I mean? In, at least in your own mind. And you begin to, he begins to run around, he begins to fly, and this power comes about, and he, he uses heat vision and cold breath and everything else in order to save people. Even if you watch that one movie, he spins around the earth backwards and brings her back to life. And he has the strength. Where does, it, where does he get this strength from? Where does he get this strength from? Krypton. He's from a different place. And when he comes from a different place, he doesn't just keep it for himself, but he brings it to this planet. Once he gets out of that phone booth, look out. What I believe is there's a lot of us who need to get in God's phone booth. And we need to go ahead and allow ourselves to be bare upon the Lord so that he can put on us new clothes and a new anointing and a new strength to help us go for the future ahead. So that when we rip off our, our outer clothing, don't do that, um, and he does that, and we're walking around, that people see the S on our shirt, they say, oh my gosh, that's one of those super saints for Jesus Christ. That we recognize them, that, you know, everything else is crashing down around, but they have an authority and a peace that none of us have. What does that rest in? It rests in the blood of Jesus. That is where the power of Christ is found in. And that is what we have. You see, the chess match is over because of Good Friday. And we have a, a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Amen? All right. We're going to continue with our readings from Mark chapter 15. In Mark chapter 15, verse 16 through 32. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. That is the praetorium. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a robe on him and they twisted together the crowns of thorns and set it on him and they began to call out to him, Hail the king of the Jews. 
Again and again they struck him on the head, and with a staff they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when, he had mocked, when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene named Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. And they forced him to carry his cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy this temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At this time, we're going to go to the cross. And the scripture is very clear where it tells us that Jesus took our sin and nailed it to the cross. And as we come up and we kneel at the cross or come here, we're going to have everyone come. Some of these palm branches that were waved, Hosanna, save us. Save us, Hosanna, save us, just a few days earlier are now from the same people who cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and stood at the foot of his cross, jeering at him and throwing insults at him. So for us today, as we were talking about in the sermon today, our lives may seem like a chess match, sometimes between being very close to God and sometimes feeling like the devil is beating us down. Sometimes it may seem like we, we want to love and serve God, but somewhere we're lost in between. And what we're going to do is we're going to come up here as you want to, as you want to come. We have a number, we have like four or five hammers. And just take one of these palms. And... Nail them in. Watch out for that. I do that all the time. But nail them in, and there'll be people here who are going to help you do that as well. And nail them in there, signifying that Jesus took our sins and nailed them to a cross. Use one of these palms and say, God, this is something that's in the way between you and me. It could be a relationship. It could be a brokenness. Whatever it may be, God, I need to take it and bring it to the foot of the cross and let that die in my life so I can go ahead and have you recharge my battery. If you need help, there'll be some people up here who will help you. I think Jake and, and some others, anybody just come up here and just help some people. I don't know if Jimmy wants to or anybody else. Um, but just Jim, you can do so as well. Anybody who just feels they want to help somebody, go ahead and do that. And just recognize that so many years ago, he gave his life up. Somebody once said, 
Jesus asked, how much do I love you? And he stretched out his arms. He said, this much, and then he died. Please come. Please stand and go ahead and come. i
until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes, comes down to take him down. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. At this time in recognizing the darkness of this moment, now darkness fell over, the lights are going to go off in the sanctuary, and we're going to worship the Lord further, which will be followed after the song. I'm going to ask some people um, to come and help carry this outside, and we will possess out that way, uh, and we're going to go place the cross outside on the hill.
crucified, my Lord. Were you there when they crucified, my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble, tremble.